In this episode of The Ziggler Show, I bring you a discussion that lands on using optimism, not as a feeling, but a strategy. My guest who said that is Jess Ekstrom, who founded Headbands of Hope, a wildly successful business selling headbands. You'll hear me confess in the show, this is not my first thought of a brilliant product category to go after, but it came from Jess's heart to serve cancer patients, and she knocked it out of the park. Welcome, everyone. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is The Ziggler Show, where our focus is increasing your performance in your personal and professional life, drawing straight from the legacy of one of the most inspiring leaders of our age, Zig Ziggler. Twice per month, I bring you more than an interview, but an authentic interaction between me and a guest who has achieved something profound by building an incredible business that serves people for a greater purpose. I dig in and unearth the ups and downs that led them to their great achievements so you can hear they are just real people who did things you and I can do too. As you'll hear pretty soon in this discussion, Jess Ekstrom did quip, optimism isn't a mood, it's a strategy. It's a very candid walk through an amazing amount of her mistakes and corrections that led Jess to found the wildly successful company Headbands of Hope. A favorite part of the discussion for me was Jess sharing how some of her earliest business endeavors were easier to embark on because she didn't overthink. She didn't have the wisdom to think about it too much. And today, as a successful and aware businesswoman, She's more prone to analyze and question too much, something I believe is a pitfall of aware and intelligent people. So I think you'll benefit from hearing about it. This show, I think, will massively bolster your confidence in trying things and will explain how you can use a strategy of optimism as a primary methodology in your professional and personal life. Jess has recently launched an online guided journal I'm excited about. If you've ever wondered about the value of journaling or felt stuck or belabored in in your journaling, I encourage you to visit brightpages.com. You can sign up and use the code Ziggler and get a free month. And her latest book is Chasing the Bright Side, and it's an inspiring romp through her story of ups and downs and purpose and success with some highlights that we're going to cover here in this episode. And for the record, I bring on these guests because I think they'll benefit you. That's it. I promote them because I believe you'll benefit from engaging with them and their messages and products and services. I don't charge guests to promote them this way. I get paid in being the messenger of their wisdom and you wanting to listen. If you are new to The Ziggler Show, it's one of my three podcasts. You can find them all and more at my website, kevinmiller.co, or on any social media at kevinmillerco. At the website, you'll find some show highlights and resources and the videos of me with my guests and co-hosts. My Motive podcast is my flagship, and where here on The Ziggler Show, we talk a lot about what people have done. In my Motive podcast, I dig deep into why. What are their reasons for doing all they have done, good and bad? I believe Motive is a root issue issue of all personal development and one we as a culture are missing. Then I've got my True Life podcast where my co-host, Dr. Randy James, and I talk about your health and wellness, but more importantly, the psychology of striving to be well in this unwell culture. The point is not health and wellness in and of itself, but as a means to an end. If you want your life running at top notch, you need to be too. In all the shows, we do a lot of Q&A. I invite you to join us on Facebook at Kevin Miller CO. I'd love to hear your perspective. Well, Jess, there are so many places to dive in with you as I looked at your story. But one that really interested me was, of course, your connection to convicted financier Bernie Madoff, uh, who was Uncle Bernie to you. And I'm interested really in how you were shaped by 
the story that I just love about how your family, you know, quote, lost everything. And then you figured out, wait a minute, we didn't really lose everything and how that prepared you for what you're doing today. Honestly, it was something I actively tried to not talk about for 11 years. It was, Hmm. however, I can separate myself from this person, you know, I'm going to do that. It was my biggest fear that someone um, would find out who my uncle was. And it wasn't until I honestly sat down to write Chasing the Bright Side, that, which is a book about optimism, that I realized that for better or worse, he and this whole event impacted me to want to use my time here to make the world better. And I think that one of the biggest things that happened from that event in 2008 was, you know, we can't always control our experiences, but we can always write our stories. So by sharing this story with, um, you know, my uncle being Bernie Madoff, there's been so many people that have reached out to me of experiences that have happened in their life, whether it's loss, divorce, you know, getting let go and the story that they, that they made of it. Um, so not, not something I want to put in my business card, but definitely is, has shaped me into who I am today and pushed me to start my business. Well, and I appreciated it because not that I had a scandal in my family, but mm-hmm. my parents as lifetime entrepreneurs, I got to see it. I'm so, I, I've shared this a lot. I'm so grateful that they shared with me the ups and the downs. So I knew oh, when we sure. were in financial uh, you know, when it was almost bankruptcy, I knew when that was happening, I knew what was happening. I knew their feelings and to see them go through it. I came out the other side as a young adult, kind of what I, what I get from you in reading the book that you're just, you're good with trying stuff and failing. It's not a big deal. Cause you saw it and you saw, Hey, it doesn't actually destroy you. Do, you don't lose everything. I guess that. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think that when you realize that there's life on the other side of mistakes, there's this confidence that never really leaves you when, when you realize how solid you can actually be built. And so I think that having that scandal when I was a senior in high school, um, really kind of changed my DNA. Uh, I think I could handle things a lot better. I think that I could just throw darts and the ones that missed, it didn't sting so much. I mean, they still stung, but, um, I think that I would not have started headbands of hope or become a speaker or really just started throwing darts had it not been for this resilience that started to be built, you know, around that time. And also watching my parents, um, have be completely blindsided thinking they were going to be close to retirement and they had started their company and having to start from scratch and watching my grandparents lose their retirement and become, start their own cab driving company. I mean, there's just so much around me from this that, um, I didn't know that I was absorbing until I could look back, you know, eight years into my company and realize that was the start. Like that was the seed. I thought it was the demise, but it was actually the beginning. Well, I found myself telling parents, parents in general, but especially the, you know, entrepreneurial parents to not hide the hardships from Mm -hmm. your kids, because I look at it and think it's one of the best gifts that I got. Thank God my dad didn't have some consistent income and we never (laughs) knew any lack or loss 
because of what it gave me. So take that and come full circle because it's towards the, I don't know, the middle of your book or maybe the latter half. And you talk about the Facebook post that you made to your private group and accidentally put it on your personal page. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was quite a few things that, um, you know, when I was writing Chasing the Bright Side, that bubbled up and I was like, man, I didn't even realize that this was so important to me. Um, I have a group called Mic Drop Workshop, which is my online course for women to become professional keynote speakers. And I, it's a closed Facebook group. And I was posting what I thought was my page, my professional, or what I thought was the Facebook group, but I accidentally posted on my professional page. And I said something like, Oh, I'm really nervous. I'm about to try some new material for this new speaking gig. And I just wanted to let all of you know that, you know, no matter how far you've made it, you can still get nervous and, and, you know, try new things and, and mess up and that's okay. And all of a sudden I checked back an hour later and I couldn't find the post. And I thought that was weird. And I went to my professional page and I had all these notifications and I had accidentally published it there to, you know, 10,000 plus people. And everyone was so supportive. Like you got this, let me know if you want to hop on a zoom and practice. And, you know, of course, Facebook alerted me that this was like my most highest engaging post. And I was like, what? And so it was this slip up that actually showed me, I'm like, Hey, people want to see behind the curtains, yeah. you know, people want to see like the, the skinned knees or the scraped elbows as you're building something. And, um, I think that when I was starting to build my company, I wasn't really seeing that. Yeah. And so everything that I did wrong, which I did a lot of things wrong in the beginning, I felt like was a reflection of me and who I was as a person and my individual self-worth. And it wasn't until later where I actually heard a lot of these stories of kind of these scrappy startups and all these mistakes that I realized it's, it's just a natural part of the process. And it, the failures aren't reflections of your worth. They're actually just reflections of growth. And if we can just be more transparent about it, then maybe someone who's getting started won't give up at the first sign of failure. They'll say, yeah, I'm on the right track. Well, I like the word transparent. I was going to say, you know, just being authentic. Cause what I love that story of showcasing that here you are in a private group where you're willing to be vulnerable and oops, mm -hmm. it got put out here where you're usually kind of professional and polished and they loved it. And I have seen that shift. I'm old enough that I've seen the shift somewhat of back when, if you're on a stage, like you talked about being a professional speaker, if you're up there, man, you got to have it all together and you come off as you have arrived and you can conquer the world. And I don't think okay. people believe it as much. They don't. I, I, I don't think that they do either. And people aren't looking for the perfectly polished, you know, Instagram posts anymore on the white background. And, and I would say, you know, I, I tell people like this, the beginning of my career as a professional speaker was on a rainy day and I was tired and had agreed to speak at this um, local college at a class. And the teacher had emailed me before saying that he wasn't going to be there to just show up and give this talk. And I was, I was annoyed. And it was like, I, it was one of those days, like straight out of a movie where it's like the parking ticket and you forgot your umbrella right, and right. it's raining and all this stuff. And I showed up at this class and usually I had this kind of tight keynote talk of like, oh, I started a company and now I'm on the Today Show and all, you know, this really like linear path. And when I got there, 
at this class of like 12 people, I realized that I just could not muster up this, you know, talk show host personality and put on this, you know, play that it felt like. And I just told him the real deal. I said, I had this idea. I got started with it. I, the first thing that happened was I lost money to a fraudulent manufacturer. I let my dad down who had given me a loan. I, it was crickets for five months before I got, you know, an order from someone I didn't know. And I told them the real story. And after that talk, every single student was waiting in line, all 12 of them to talk to me. And that had never happened at an event before. And that was when I realized, oh, this speaking isn't about making yourself look good. It's about how can you make the audience better? Yeah. That reminds me of the Donald Miller and his you know, story mm-hmm. brand of looking at your website or whatever you're putting out there. And are you making the customer, the prospect, are you making them the hero or are you just setting yourself up as the hero, which is so difficult because of course you want to showcase, you know, some credibility yeah. and, and, and let yourself be known. You've got to do that or people aren't going to listen to and trust you. But then at the same way, how do you do that and make them the hero? You know, with, with so many of your stories, it well, like the early one of submitting you as a kid, submitting a hundred stories to, you know, get in chick, chicken soup for the soul, which you ultimately did, but it, it comes off as showcasing you. I think you could somewhat read it, if, especially if you don't dig into it and go, oh, you're just one of those, you know, optimistic, of course, but fearless people and nothing bothers you. And yet you do have the stories of, uh, of the doubt, you know, of mm-hmm. the fear, but I wanted people to hear that because I think sometimes they can hear, especially when you, you readily share all the failures and yeah, go, yeah, and, but I just went forward and did it and go, Oh, she's just fearless. I'm not, but that's not who you are. No. And I think that sometimes people think when you write a book about something, then it must come natural to you. Yeah. And I think that people, maybe dive in and dig into topics that don't come natural to them that they have to work at because when it comes natural, what is there to teach? And so optimism wasn't something that came natural to me. And it wasn't, and I, I think that optimism also gets this bad rap of just being happy all the time. Yeah. When Paul, really, Pollyanna. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's not necessarily a mood. It's a strategy. Hmm. And I, hmm. I think that, When we look at history, any great movement that has ever happened, you know, whether it was the Me Too movement or civil rights, none of those things began when times were good. Mm -hmm. They began because one person was optimistic enough to make it better. And so optimism at its core, like develops in the bad and we have to be willing to absorb it and be confident enough to say, maybe I can be the one to change it. And so I don't think that I was ever someone who was really confident in my abilities. I wasn't an A student. I, uh, it's funny, I was actually speaking at my high school recently. They brought me back and I had to apologize to a lot of teachers. I'm like, <laughs> I'm so sorry for talking so much in your class and for failing your quizzes. And they're like, it, yeah, I think you turned out okay. But um, I wasn't someone that, that naturally had that ability to um, just get it right on the first try. And I think that a lot of kids out there think that if they're not getting those A's or not getting it right on the first try, then they're not, um, they don't have the abilities to do good in the world. But it's really just about being optimistic and courageous enough to just figure it out. I, I'm curious on the, on the school thing. Did you, 
do you feel like that's just, you know, you weren't real academic or you didn't really apply yourself? I wasn't academic. The thing is, is I tried really hard to get it. That's what I was, that's what I was getting at. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. My sister, on the other hand, she was, I mean, uh, just student body president, everything. And, uh, and, and, and it looked so effortless to her. Um, and so I actually was trying really hard, but it just wasn't, it just didn't come natural to me. I wasn't a good test taker. You know, I, um, wasn't good at multiple choice and all of this stuff that, you know, you feel like as a kid is supposed to define you and, um, it doesn't. No, I was just curious because that's my story as well. I was, I didn't apply myself and I wasn't academic. So double whammy. So, (laughs) but I was, but like you, I was over here excelling at other things that I was interested in and I I was there. Well, you know, you speaking of, you know, being optimistic and confident, it's really interesting. I'll have to admit when I first got your information and headbands, headbands. Okay. Wait a minute. So we've got so many people listening right now, you know, entrepreneurs, people who are and are aspiring to looking for a good idea. Right. And so again, I hear yours think headbands. I mean, I, I, I've been in business long enough to appreciate a niche, but I thought it's, that's something I buy my, or I don't buy one. My wife does yeah. and they're laying around the house from my daughters and it's just kind of a commodity. Is it? And really she went and knocked it out of the park with headbands. Now, okay, one, and we're going to get to, you know, you had a reason for going after that and a way that you did differentiate yourself. But I did want you to speak to those people who may look at something. They think, gosh, it seems like it. I mean, I would like this to be an opportunity, but it just, the market seems saturated. I mean, is it, how am I going to make this really, I'm going to come out with, you know, selling my own fingernail clippers and people are going to care as opposed to everything that's available at Walmart to use a big ticket store. Yeah. Talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I'll talk, I'll talk a little bit about the spark and then maybe that'll help answer the question. Um, I was in college and I was interning for make wish and I was seeing a lot of kids that were losing their hair to chemotherapy and they'd be offered wigs or they'd be given hats. And a lot of them weren't really concerned with covering up their heads. They just wanted something to feel good about themselves. And so I would see so many of them wearing headbands coming into the offices or on their wish. And I just thought it was such a cool gesture of confidence. Um, And when you told that story, I immediately got the picture of the little girl going through chemo with a headband. It totally resonated. Yeah. And I think that it was like the smartest, dumbest decision I ever made was to say, oh yeah, I could do that. Like I didn't think about market saturation. I didn't think about how many businesses fail. I think I've gotten worse at that over time because Mm -hmm. as you get older, you have more data and you have more um, uh, stories and experiences where you can kind of take yourself out of the game. But being 19, 18 years old and saying, oh yeah, a lot of these kids like headbands, I should start a headband company. And for every headband I sell, I'll donate one to a child with an illness. Um, I think that because I didn't think it through so much and I didn't have this grand plan was actually one of the biggest strengths of the company because I, I just started engaging with it and I just started walking. I didn't have this big whiteboard of ideas. I had a sheet of paper that I wrote headbands at the top of it and started to see what I could do with it. And so I think for people who have ideas or they are afraid that a market is too saturated, 
one, I would say, look at the problem. You know, what's the pain point? What's that itch that you feel like you can scratch? And for me, not only was it headbands, it was headbands for kids with cancer. And so I felt like because my prop, my, my product was solving a problem, uh, it was something that I could easily communicate to people why we're different. You know, it was that, that zag factor. And then the other thing I'll say is that, you know, people can copy any product, but they can't copy the person behind it. And so I think a big part of the growth of headbands of hope, I mean, I, the way I would market it would be just to tell my story and talk about my time at Make-A-Wish and, and how I got started. And it's these founder fingerprints that you can put all over something that no one else can. So yes, they can recreate a headband or a toenail clipper, but the story in which you started it, tell it because that's what makes it different than the rest. You are listening to The Ziegler Show in this episode with Jess Ekstrom. Again, go to brightpages.com. You can sign up there for this online guided journaling platform. It's brand new. Use the code Ziegler and get a free month. Next, we dig more into how Jess made her headband stand out as a premium product and how you can do the same as well. Okay. Well, I love that because I am, uh, I mean, I know branding, I know marketing and I Mm -hmm. am a product of it. I mean, I do it as well. I, I use uh, mountain man soap because of the brand. Now I know the guy that created it, but I've gotten myself to thinking, I'm not going to go use that store-bought girly stuff. Sorry. Uh, you know, I want, (laughs) I want man stuff and I'm buying it for, I mean, are his ingredients different than somebody else who makes, you know, handmade soap? Probably not, but yeah, I'm buying the person. And I think we do that. I mean, it's here with podcasting. I mean, people listen, I don't know if I'm bringing out material that nobody else has ever said. I mean, there's no new Mm -hmm. messengers that was said a long time ago. Nothing new under the sun. Uh, but they, find the people who resonate with your voice. I want to come back though, to you saying, I thought it was really interesting, Jess, of you saying that you didn't think about the market potential. You didn't think about the Mm -hmm. saturation and thank goodness, as you have become older, I love that as you become older, you're probably worse at doing that now. And I would say the same thing because it's always been a little bit of a rub for me. Here we are in personal development and self-help and the point kind of the, one of the rallying cries is become aware you know, aware of yourself, aware of what's going on. And yet then I see the downside of it as the more, the more self-aware people are the ones more prone to discount themselves and doubt the opportunity because they can poke holes into it. And right. I feel like I was that person to some degree, or I got to, to be until I saw, I, I, I wish I could name the person, but it would be so mean. Uh, I saw this guy who did some great stuff. And I thought, are you kidding me? This guy's like this Yahoo actually succeed. And I realized he doesn't know any better than to know he can't do that. And he went and did it. And it made yeah. me feel like an idiot. And, yeah. you know, so, so to that, how do you balance that? I mean, cause I know that now you're speaking to so many business people to say, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, yeah, I'm so grateful you're self-aware, but you're discounting and doubting every step of possibility. You're better off to be Forrest Gump and just go do it. Right. Exactly. And it kind of reminds me what you were saying with the podcasting. You know, I had wanted to start a podcast for years after this and everyone was telling me, oh, it's too saturated. You know, we don't need another podcast. And then finally this year I was like, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen is if I start a podcast and I have this new creative outlet, I learn a lot. And if it doesn't work, then I get to 
go try something else. And so I started my podcast business on the bright side and it's become a great way for me to reach people. And I never would have done it had I listened to all of the stories or looked at that market saturation. Um, And so I think that there's a difference between keeping a pulse on your landscape, listening to people, but then also like really being in tune with your gut because no one else can tell you like what's going on inside you. And the ideas that I've had that I felt this like almost just this pull um, where it hasn't even been an active decision. It's almost just led to an action. Those are the ideas that are worth pursuing. The ideas where you're driving in the car and you're thinking about nothing. Where does, where, what do you start thinking about when you're in the shower? I think that no matter what, there's great result from just trying something especially if you can minimize risk, like what's that MVP, that minimum viable product that you can just start level one, you know, you don't have to put up a lot of upfront capital or, you know, quit your job in order to do this. Um, Because I think that at the end of the day, failure will always feel better than regret. And I've had moments where I'm like literally going to bed at night and I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe I did that. And you know, it turned like, it just didn't turn out well, but then I'm like, you know what? I learned a lot and I have a story from it. So better that than wondering what if better that. And I, you know, I, I want people to hear that too, because I feel the same thing and that I am, uh, but I still care. I still care. Mm-hmm. I think I care just as much about the failure. It hurts just as much as just as uncomfortable I've just gotten more faith in it, knowing that, like we talked about before, it's still going to be okay tomorrow. It, yeah. It, people are so resilient and you can make yourself up again 24 hours later. You, you know, with your, okay, so you gave the reason. The reason you went after headbands is your volunteering for Make-A-Wish. You see these kids and they're be, being given hats and wigs and yet you saw they were, they were wearing headbands. That gave you the idea and you went and did that. Was there... Because that's a big part of your brand now. It's a major mm-hmm. part. And you mentioned seeing during that time or at some point there you saw um, Tom, uh, what's his name with Tom's shoes? Oh, yeah, Blake. Yeah, Blake, Blake right. Yeah. And you saw him. And of course, that's why I know of them is because for every mm-hmm. pair, was that it? Every pair of shoes it was yeah. bought? Pair of shoes they donated a pair. Yeah. And that's what you're doing. Okay, but I want you to talk about that because other people have latched onto that. And now it's a lot, you know, mm-hmm. it's not that uncommon to see whatever business or corporation say, Hey, for every bit of money, you know, we give right. $1 or whatever, but it doesn't resonate. It, it doesn't, the, the tie isn't as strong as what you have or like what Blake mm-hmm. had Yeah, because you didn't just pick something. Oh, that's a neat thing. You really had a personal story. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you, well, do you teach that? Do you teach that in your business consulting now of, mm-hmm even to the point of just having a bigger, well, maybe the Simon Sinek aspect of what's your why, what's the business's why that people should know about? Right. Yeah. I, I, I I'll tell you a little bit too, um, about the, that really like the left or right turn. I feel like we all have those with yeah. our business or whatever we've gone through. Like we're standing somewhere and we're like, we could either go for this or we could not. And I think that that left or right turn, whatever you're thinking or whatever you're feeling that moment is, is either your why not? Or maybe later. (laughs) And so for me, I was at Make-A-Wish and there was this um, girl who wanted to go to Disney World. And unfortunately she was too sick to go. Mm. And uh, so 
I, she really wanted to meet Sleeping Beauty. That was the reason why she wanted to go to Disney World. Um, and she like couldn't go. They couldn't fly or couldn't drive her. And so I went to this costume shop and I uh, got a Sleeping Beauty costume. And a few hours later, I arrived on her doorstep um, dressed as Sleeping Beauty and tried to make her wish come true that day. And I brought her this dress and crown and um, read her the story. And it was this moment that was one of like the clearest before and after moments of my life. And I think that when we think about doing good and like good business, we think about the upsides of it, you know, all of the donations and all of that. But I think that where they stem from is really the heartbeat of what you're actually going to sell. And so that moment, those hard times actually give you a choice. They can be the excuse as to why you do less, or they can be the reason as to why you do more. And I think that that single story was the reason. It was the reason why I wanted to do more. And so when we look at our business, Headbands of Hope, giving headbands away to kids with cancer for every one we sell, um, I think that it, it, it strung the cause so deeply into our mission that it became the core of what we do. People come for the cause, but they come back because of the quality of the product. And I think that personally, I think that entrepreneurship isn't going to be social entrepreneurship anymore. I think it's just going to be an expectation, not, you know, if your business is giving back in some sort, but, but how, and what are you doing? Because I think that consumers, especially young ones, they want to be able to close the loop between purchase and purpose, you know, not just a transaction, but what, like, what am I giving this money towards? Um, How is, how is it made? Who is it serving? I think that's going to just matter more and more as time goes on. Well, back to you of you can have your own voice behind the product because to some degree, I feel like it's impossible. I mean, I don't know. Well, I'll put you on the spot here. I mean, can you say Mm -hmm. your headbands are the highest quality on planet earth? No, exactly. (laughs) None of us can. My my marketing team's going to kill me, but no, (laughs) well, no, but I, but I appreciate that. I don't think any, nobody can, I don't care if you're Mm -hmm. Apple or, you know, whatever you can't, you can't claim that. And I don't think anybody will believe it to some degree. Everything is to, is to the point of, uh, I'm going to call it again, a commodity. And Mm -hmm. so that's what we have left though, is to give people a reason to align themselves with the image that your product has. And I find myself today that I can buy, you know, whatever I want, whatever category, and I'm usually going to gravitate towards somebody whose ethos I really like and and who I, yeah, who I want to associate with. And so I love you, you know, saying that and I want to hit on this. I was actually journaling about it recently, uh, Jess, that the aspect of somebody wrote again about, you know, working at your passions. And I think that perspective has gotten so diluted somewhat. And you've got really smart people now saying, okay, that's stupid. You need to work at something, you know, that you have the ability to do and provides good value. But over here, what I see you doing, you just told the story and it's something that you just truly care about. I mean, is making is making headbands your absolute passion. I mean, you're not back there sewing headbands. 
Um, right. I tried that. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, I read that. And, and I read the yeah. story about you dressing up for a little girl. And I thought that, yeah. and, and I had it, I had my notes about that. There was, I recently had uh, two people on the show, Sam Collier and John O'Leary. And I've mentioned this, people who oh, listen yeah, to the show, they're yeah. getting used to me talk about this because it just hit my own, you know, bias on this topic of, they said in regards to purpose, and passions. They said the thing that really spoke to them was, and they said it separate from each other within the same 30 days that I had them both on shows is that what is that thing that just breaks your heart? I thought, Oh, that resonates. And then I read the story of you dressing up to go see this little girl. And I thought, you know, is, is the business what you're passionate about? I mean, you're passionate about helping people. You could do that Mm -hmm. with a hundred different products and services out there, but you found one that hits that thing that just Broke your heart. And I actually wondered yeah. about that. Was it just, I mean, you did, I didn't see a story about somebody who had cancer in your family or some tragic mm-hmm. thing. You just happened to get exposed to this make a wish. You wanted to be an intern there, which they didn't have them, but you applied yeah. and went in there <laughs> and then just found, found that thing that breaks your heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It actually started in Disney world of all places. Oh, I was right. a photo that's pass right. photographer and then, uh, met a lot of kids that were there on their wish, which led to make wish. But I think that that's such an interesting question is like, does purpose come from heartbreak? And one of the things that I think that that's a version of it, but one of the things that I feel like I've found that I want to give people permission to do as well is evolve. And when I started Headbands of Hope, I mean, it was tunnel vision. I mean, I would fall asleep counting headbands in my, like some people count sheep, I would count headbands. And, um, it was everything that I, I, I consumed and it started, I, I would, I would say from heartbreak, but then I think that you turn this lens on when you realize that you can create things, you start looking at the world through a lens that you can fix it. And so, because I had this confidence now that I could create something that could give back, I was constantly looking for pain points, you know, where could things be done better, whether that's in my company or around me. And as I started Headbands of Hope, one of the things that I found through like, whether speaking engagements or just meeting people was so many people would say, oh, I've had this idea, but I haven't pursued it. Or I wish I could do something meaningful, like what you're doing. And, you know, I I feel like I was made for more, but I don't know where to start. And I realized, I'm like, what was it about me? Because I wasn't the smartest. I had no idea what I was doing, but yet I could pull this off. So what was it that that was different? And how can I teach that to others? And I realized that it was just journaling. And I, I know that you said that you journaled about this taking 15, 30 minutes every morning to engage with my thoughts and my ideas and flush them out. Uh, and so that's actually what evolved into my, my newest venture is Bright Pages, which is a guided online journal to help people with their ideas and their businesses that are prompts specifically for what you're doing. And I think that um, there was almost this guilt for a little bit where I was kind of one foot in it had bands of hope that was really growing. And then one foot into this idea of helping other people with their ideas. Uh, and I felt like because headbands of hope was my foundation and my story that I would be doing a disservice to leave it. And I'm still in the company today, but 
I made the decision to hire a president, hire a COO, um, build out the team and pass the baton. And I think a lot of founders think that they are the only one that can do what they do. And I think you're doing a disservice to your business if you feel like you're the only one that'll ever care about it. Because now that I've gotten more people in there, um, you know, this is a little shot to the ego, but it's doing really well (laughs) without me. So I think that purpose can come from heartbreak, but also give yourself permission to evolve it. Oh, I like that. I, I have started many businesses and at the beginning, I'm always CEO until we can get me out of it. Cause it's yeah, really not, exactly. it's really not where I'm. And there's I'm like best. a bad rap around that. Yeah. And I, I think that, um, it's like this founder syndrome where you feel like you, because it was your idea that you're the only one that can run it. And I have been pleasantly surprised how wrong I was about that. As you're doing the business and you got asked to speak specifically, mm-hmm. was that, would you, when you look at it, do you think it was more because of the business success or because of the purpose that everybody knew you were in business for? Originally the purpose. And that's what I tell a lot of speakers who want to speak is, um, I was negative $10,000 when I got my first speaking engagement. I lost, you know, uh, a loan to a fraudulent manufacturer that I was trying to get back. But because I had just started an idea, it wasn't successful. It was not even close to successful. Uh, places started to ask me to speak, you know, and I started doing that and realized this was a great form of marketing. Um, and it took me a little bit to be comfortable enough to share like some of the downs of that story. But uh, I think that a lot of people think that they have to check a ton of boxes in order to share their story or for their for their experiences to have value. And I think that people wait too long to do that. Um, maybe give yourself like that 10% rule. If, if, you know, I'm 10% ahead of other people in the room, if I've started, which usually means you've just started something, then I can speak on it or I can write about it. Um, and in that, in just doing that, there's a new purpose that kind of evolves of giving other people confidence to do what you're doing. So you mentioned journaling. And Mm -hmm. I mean, here on the Ziegler show, it comes up so consistently, especially because most of my guests, just like you and I will do talk about habits and journaling comes up a lot. And lately though, I've started digging in and asking people, yeah, but what are you journaling about? Because when you take Mm -hmm. a populace that is not, or an audience that say has not journaled, I think the first thing that I find them, maybe if they don't even ask it at first, but they open the journal up the next day and go, okay, I'm going to start journaling like all these rock stars. And what do they write? And the easy thing to write when I was a kid, I started writing. I had, I had somebody who mentored me as a, as a kid, uh, a kid, I was probably 16, 17 and I started journaling, but it was every day, just keeping track. This is what happened today, which was neat. It made me more conscious of my Mm -hmm. days and what was happening and memories. And that was neat. But then I evolved into plans. Okay, here's some mm-hmm. plans. And, and then it was, okay, how about thoughts and feelings? Because I happen to be the kind of guy who doesn't really, wasn't in touch with my thoughts. So shocker. thoughts, yeah, shocker. Yeah, I know. And then, no, it's literally, now I got to remind myself, okay, have, what's some feeling there, buddy? Yeah. Um, and then, and then, you know, creations. I spent a lot of time creating, I guess it could go into thoughts, but new ideas and I'll write on those. And it, you know, maybe coming, jumping out of my Bible or a book or staring out the window or whatever. So with the, speak to that a little bit, because that is another reason that you're sitting here right now is when yeah. I saw the bright pages journaling, such a hot topic with our audience, but mm-hmm. how to journal 
is another piece of that that I haven't really dug into. And then a guided journal. I mean, we've got books out there, but yours is an online. It's more interactive. Talk a little bit about what uh, feel free. This is shameless promotion right here, but I want you to talk about the mechanics of journaling, why you did this, because you said I went looking for X, I couldn't find it. So again, you found mm-hmm. a problem for yourself and you went and filled it. Well, what I was finding was when I was looking at journaling services, they were either just about the efficiency of journaling, you know, a journal wherever, or it was, um, you know, more of a gratitude list or, uh, a, a deeper emotions journal. And I felt like I want to start my day with my ideas and I want to flesh out everything that's in my head and journal to, to action, you know, and I couldn't find that anywhere. Something that kind of pushed me in the right direction as a creator, an entrepreneur, or someone who had, had dreams for myself. And so I started Bright Pages this year. Uh, I figured if I'm not traveling for speaking engagements, this is an idea I've had for three years. Well, well, and I did want to say that because you talked about, matter of fact, I, I pulled this off of your, I don't know, off of your stuff somewhere as I was doing yeah. my research. And you said every, it might've been Facebook, every big idea starts from scratch. A few years ago, I was looking for an online journaling service that helped me with my ideas and productivity. I couldn't find one. I fell into that. Well, someday maybe I never pursued it. And then the pandemic hit. I love mm-hmm. that. And then yeah. your, your tra- travel schedules wiped clean and Hey, now I've got time. So that I love the, uh, the recency, I guess of this and the, there's so many people that have had to pivot or they still need to. And totally. you did that. And here's the result of it. So go ahead. I just love the story. Oh, I'm, I'm glad I, I, you know, I think I spent like two days, you know, sitting saying, what am I going to do? And then I was like, you know what, it's now or never. And so I started bright pages, which is a guided online journal for doers. So there's daily prompts that are designed to kind of help you make sense of your day, your ideas, what you want to do, what you want to achieve. But my favorite thing, and this is something that I looked for that I couldn't find. And we're the only online journal that actually does this is prompt pathways. So these are tracks of prompts based on goals or interests that you have. Mm -hmm. So if you want to start a business, if you want to be a speaker, if you just want to get out of maybe a creative funk that you've been in, um, you can pick a pathway and for seven days, you'll get prompts specifically guiding you down that path. Um, And so it's been really cool. It's pushed me to be a beginner again, which I realized I was getting comfy with headbands of hope and speaking and doing things that I, I feel like I've gotten pretty good at over the years and starting a technology company was not something that I'd ever done before. Um, so I got a chance to kind of put my beginner's hat back on and, uh, yeah. And now, now we're open for business. We have about, we just started a month ago and we have about 2000 users, which is incredible. And, um, yeah, you can start, try it for free on brightpages.com. So what is some of the strategy that you would offer people for journaling? Cause I think, again, we've got a lot of people, they've heard it. I doubt, mm-hmm. I doubt many people listening here have not heard it, have not tried, but even if they've gone through a decent spell, it can become kind of plateaued, become a little empty. I mean, what do you, what are you guiding people to do to get benefit value out yeah. of journaling as opposed to it's just another thing on the to-do list. I got to write something right. down. Well, I think that we feel like we need to be in this cozy cabin with, you know, a fireplace and, and tea in order to, to start just writing. And that Which is great. Be, 
but right. That would be fun. I wish that was the case. (laughs) Um, so what we are encouraging people to do that works is do it first thing in the morning for 15 minutes before you consume anything else. So a lot of times when we're, there's something that we're trying to achieve, whether it's a business idea or something we want to do, our gut reaction is to consume more. Like what could I read? What can I learn? Um, and, and sometimes that's, you know, that's great, but then there reaches a certain point where more consumption isn't going to help. We have to be willing to ask ourselves the right questions and, and reflect. And so if you can create before you can, you consume in the day, you can actually listen to your own thoughts and ideas before you listen to anyone else's. Cause it's crazy how much our own feelings about ourself and our work and our worth are in relation to someone else. And that gets amplified the moment we open Instagram. And I'm so guilty of this. Like I can have all of these thoughts of about my ideas and what I want to do. And then the minute I open my phone, it's, oh, well, she's doing that. I should be doing that. Or why is his podcast taking off? And this, you know, and all of a sudden my thoughts aren't my own anymore. So 15 minutes in the morning before you do anything else. And if you're on the go, we actually have an email function where we email you the prompt and you can literally just in your inbox on your phone, respond to it and it'll archive it for you in your platform. So you don't even have to log in. Well, so what I hear you saying is, yeah, we are so prone to, and again, I'm, you know, I'm a purveyor of more Mm -hmm. information, another podcast, more stuff, and it's constant input that the journal is there for output, which we mentally often don't do. And that is, now I went into Bright Pages and looked at it and that's what I saw. It's guiding, it's guiding you to get output from you, which is sometimes hard. So yeah, people are there and you, you sat down in front of your journal and thought, I don't know what to write, which even in doing it well, I think I I still have those days. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate, I appreciate the prompts. I mean, you've got a trajectory. I mean, you, before that you've talked about, um, what was the name of it? Mic drop. Yeah. Mic drop workshop. Mic drop workshop. When did, so you're doing business, you've got this big purpose. You're being asked to speak with, which often Mm -hmm. happens what was the impetus for you to say, Hey, I want to help other people, women specifically Mm -hmm. speak. Where did that come in? What was the catalyst? It was being the only woman in a lineup more times than I could count. And even being told that the reason why they brought me in to speak was to have their like woman box checked. And I just honestly couldn't believe it. Um, I realized that there was two things that were at play here in the speaking industry is that one, just historically, like men have been seen as experts more than women. And so a lot of these um, events, you know, have been looking for male speakers for years or their committees are men who are selecting men to speak. And The other thing that at play was women weren't applying for speaking engagements because they felt like they weren't qualified. So it was kind of this like double-edged sword was, um, you know, there was kind of already these key players in the arena and no one was applying to, to, to join them. Um, that was women. And so I felt like if I can teach what I've learned about the speaking industry and make this a course in a community just for women, um, whether it's, negotiations, how to craft your keynote, finding gigs, you know, turning one gig into another. Um, Maybe I can help change the game of speaking. And so 
just by, by giving people the information and the community and also just the permission to put their name in the hat. Uh, we've had a thousand people go through the course and, and get paid speaking opportunities. Wow. Um, so I think that, you know, I try to think about what's the single thread in all of this, you know, headbands of hope and mic drop workshop and now bright pages. And it is, I want to give people the gift of confidence not by what they need to do next, but by where they're at now. And whether that's through a headband or resources about, you know, learning how to speak or giving your ideas attention, um, you don't need to arrive somewhere else in order to begin. And I think that that's like the single thread of my story that I would love for other people to know. Well, and the other thread that you keep saying over and over is you just see a problem and have, I guess, enough, enough confidence, enough optimism <laughs> to say, what can I do in that space? Just like that, that you're the only female there. And they said, yeah, we need to do that. And man, I'll be candid on that. I got called out a couple years ago that, uh, all, all of my guests are primarily men and <laughs> I didn't get called out on it, but later on, I realized also, maybe I did. Now, maybe I did. It might've been a family member that I can remember now <laughs> who said, yeah. And they're also white, Kevin. Um, and it's true. I'm going out there. And if you look at the bestseller lists on Amazon or whatever, and I Mm -hmm. just wasn't questioning it, I'm just looking for the best messages and what's at the top and it's white guys. Um, there's just more than ever. And so I made that conscious shift to do it. And I think it's been because I've had so many non white guys on there and I get referred others now that now it's, it's not, but you're right. It's not a level playing field at all. And, and I've, I've, you know, called myself out on it this year with, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, I uh, realized that the circle that I was looking for um, to give people opportunity was just the circle that I knew. Mm -hmm. And um, whether it was referring speaking engagements to other women, it was just, oh, yeah, I went to college with her. I met her at a conference and it was it was primarily white women. Um, And so I started uh, reaching out to some of my, you know, black women friends and saying, you know, how, how can we like throw each other some layups? You know, how can I pass the baton to you? And one of the main things that I learned is that, you know, diversify where you look. And so for our interns, for example, at Headbands of Hope, we would always just go to NC state, which is where I went to college and their communications school, which is, we realized primarily white, you know, why don't we look at some historically black colleges for our internships? And um, even just looking at where you look is like such a game changer when it comes to diversifying your guests, your speakers, or just who you refer. Yeah, I thank you for that. Because we did do I did during the the time of Black Lives Matter coming out, I did. I, well, I asked my brother, Jared, his, his last name is Ungaza. He's my, my brother. And um, he does a lot of advocacy in that area. And I asked him, I said, but what can I do? I, I live up in Colorado and they, it's called Woodland Park. People call it Whiteland Park. It just it, it authentically is. He said, what do, what do I do? How do I go out of my way to make a difference? What do I do with with this privilege that I had? And he said, use what you got. You got a platform. So mm-hmm. give people a platform. And, but you're right. I had to go look in different places. And when I did, it was beautiful and and incredible. And I just, I was the one missing out, but I like, I like that perspective of looking at, at different places. Yeah. I think it was, it was, um, I think 
it was interesting being in our industry, you know, uh, you feel like you are the educator at all times and to say, Hey, this isn't my turn, you know, to turn off your educator, like voice and mind for a second and say, here's my microphone, you know, to someone else yeah. was, I, I realized like, how, why did I not do this sooner? Um, and, you know, like I said, at the beginning of this podcast, like hard times, give us that choice excuse yeah. to do less or the reason to do more. And, um, I just hope that it, it keeps momentum, uh, as the reason to do more. So you've got, we talked about bright pages. I mean, obviously the book chasing the bright side, was there a specific catalyst for you to decide, I want to get the, the book and the message out or was it just uh, natural fruition? That's question one. And then two is, to use that word again, catalyst, but what what along the way brought optimism out? I mean, we're in personal development and in with what you've done, what you've talked about even here on this show, there's a lot of things you could have talked on. You could have given emphasis to, you could have made the muse in essence, mm-hmm. but yours was optimism. So yeah, two, two questions for you. Well, actually, um, the story, I think answers both questions. Okay. I had a different book idea, um, that I started pitching and I, it was about telling other people's stories that have reached some level of success and bring to light the messy middle. Because my, my biggest pet peeve was like entrepreneurs who are like, one day I had this idea and the next day I can't keep my products in stock. And you're just like, okay, come on. And so I was like, if I could find people and tell that middle part of their story, that'll be a cool book. And so I just went ham on this idea, uh, just all in, I mean, practically wrote the book, had my proposal, I mean, just rejection after rejection with literary agents and this is not going to work. No one, no one's going to read this. And, um, it wasn't until this one, I was speaking at an event and, um, Bob Goff was one of the speakers and, uh, this is actually a funny story too. So I was backstage and I went up to Bob and I was like, Hey, I have this book idea. I can't seem to find an agent. You know, what do you think? And he goes, you should talk to this agent. Here's their information. Tell them I sent you. And then he's like, here's my number. If you have any publishing questions. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, Bob Goff just gave me his, his number. This is crazy. And so then I speak and then he goes out and speaks and literally his last slide was his cell phone number for 3000 people. The one that he had just given me. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm not as special as I thought. Anyways, so I reached out to that agent and um, they said, hey, we like you. We don't like your book idea. Um, We think that you're hiding behind other people's stories and not telling your own. And I was like, oh, interesting. Um, Because again, you know, we can tell ourselves that uh, our story isn't good enough and that it's not interesting enough or I haven't amounted to enough in order to share it. And it's funny because the exact thing that I teach people to do, I wasn't doing myself. So when I talked to this agent, she said, you know, what's that one thread or theme when you can weave together all of these stories? Like, what is that for you? And after some journaling, I realized that the consistent thread between, you know, my uncle scandal in high school to starting Headbands of Hope to some of these other things that I was doing was optimism. Like none of those things would have happened had I not had this rooted belief that the future was going to be good. And that, because we won't ever create something that we don't believe in. 
So if we can't see it, then we won't create it. And that was what I think was the kicker in my entire career was like, you know what, next year is going to be really good. And here's why, and this is what we're going to do. Um, not, you know, the Titanic sinking, let's, you know, line up the chairs on the deck. Like, I think because of that optimism, that was what got me to where I was. And so that's what ended up being the book chasing the bright side. So give us a, define it a little bit. Uh, Cause you know, optimism, we can attach a lot of meaning to, we can say, you know, confidence and faith and uh, people may attach different meanings to it mm-hmm. in the, how would you define it in the context that you took it for the book? So in the book, it's really about connecting that purpose to action. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, there's a, a study that I talk about in Chasing the Bright Side um, about willpower that the Harvard Business Review did. And for so long, they thought that willpower was like um, only so much that you had in a day. It was like gas in the tank. It was a depleted resource. But what they actually found out was that it's not a depleted resource as much as it is an emotion that we have as humans. And so emotions are triggered by something, whether you're happy or you're sad, it's, there's something that they're attaching that to. And that trigger of willpower, getting that, that, that just kick of a response is purpose. And so I'm not optimistic all the time. I don't work hard all the time. I do that when I actually really care about something. And sometimes we don't know what we care about until we engage with it. And so with Chasing the Bright Side, it's about really identifying what you care about and and going after it. But another facet to that is also, are you going after something based on how it looks or how it feels? Because those are two completely different things that um, I got wrong (laughs) uh, a few years ago, for sure. Care to elaborate? Because that's a big deal when you look at, mm-hmm. I look back with, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a no regrets person, even with great redemption, there are things that I have done that I would not do, you know, in retrospect. And I looked mm-hmm. at some things where there's bits of things in my past where I, I, I had good intent. I didn't have any malice or, or ill will. I had, I had a good heart, but I had the right. wrong spirit. What was driving mm-hmm. me was not the healthiest thing. It was, you know, trying to deal with my own damaged self image and, and whatnot. And I've seen people do that. And of course we say money, but I've seen people do it f- for money. But again, it was to care for their family. It wasn't to conquer the world or anything. And it was still, yeah, kind of an errant, an errant motive, uh, mm-hmm. which is, is the name of my other podcast. You know, so you, would you elaborate? Yeah. Well, I love what you said, good heart, wrong spirit. I think that there's so much, so much packing in that, that I can relate to. At the beginning of Headbands of Hope, it was so clear why I was there. You know, it's, there's not a lot of mess. You know, there's not a lot of layers when you're just beginning because you you have that clarity. And then once, um, it's kind of like once you get, a treat, like you're a dog and you're like conditioned to do it again. You know, you get that first press hit or you get that first, you know, million, or you get that first like celebrity and you're like, Oh, that that's, you know, a good hit of dopamine. Let me get that again. And then all of a sudden years down the road, yeah, I have staff, I have payroll, I have insurance, and there's just more layers in between what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And so that clarity is a little bit harder to see every day. 
And I was getting really caught up in a lot of this external, um, the external parts of the business. And I would basically say to myself, you know, well, once I can get on a big network television show, you know, I'm going to feel something or once I can get on the cover of this magazine or once I can do one, two, you know, $3 million in sales, or once I can give a Ted talk or get a book deal or get a, you know, a mass retailer to carry us, then I'll feel, feel like I've done something. And then all of those things happened and they would just come and go. And it was making me almost um, feel worse because I thought I was going to feel better. And it wasn't until, uh, you know, is again, these left or right things that happen in our life where um, I was getting really caught up at this trade show. Um, I had forgotten these tags that went with the headbands and I was trying to get them rerouted to the trade show. And I'd gotten this call while I was there on the phone with this tag company. And it was from this girl, Taylor's mom. I had just met Taylor in the hospital about a week prior. Um, and she was down that she wasn't going to be able to go to prom. And so I told her, I'm going to this trade show. And when I come back here, we'll have our own prom and, you know, we'll do something fun. We'll get dressed up and listen to music. And she was so excited. She like added me on Facebook and started making the Spotify playlist for our prom. And, and I'm on the phone with this tag company and Taylor's mom calls me and tells me that Taylor had passed away that night before. And that she wanted the same headband that I'd given her that day for every female in her family to wear to her service the next day. And it was this moment where I felt like the weight of this anchor, you know, almost pulled me back down to feel my feet touch the ground. And I didn't even realize how far I had been floating because I had my success, you know, packed in a form of an arrival of somewhere else, like anywhere else other than where I was standing was going to be success. And it was always based on something quantifiable, you know, some sort of metric that I had to hit, but you know, those are actually achievements and I was confusing them, you know, achievements are those, those tangible milestones, but success can't be measured. You know, it can only be felt. And it was really Taylor that, um, that showed me that, I, you know, fulfillment really isn't this destination that we hit one day. It's, it's this choice to how we live our life every day. Um, but that can get blurry. You know, you think running a business and doing something good means that your compass is always straight and that couldn't be further from the truth. It's always needs fine tuning. I love the story, Jess. I'm so glad we hit on that. I, I I do long for that for people. I, I you mentioned earlier sometimes feeling bad about it was something that that was good, but feeling bad that it was it was so it was so great. You can feel guilty for it somewhat. Mm-hmm. I do long for. I talk I talk to my kids. I mean I've got adult kids now, and say I just you know my work is not always play. I, that's why yeah. I don't call it is, it a, is it a passion? I don't. It's not you know this. It's not a burden. I, I mean, gosh, I don't mm-hmm. have the heart wrenching realities that you do. Uh, I think in your work, but it is. I am so grateful to wake up and absolutely care about what I do. To know that if there was you know a, a billion dollars in the bank, 
I would just do more of what I'm doing. And I, I do think we still get mixed up with talking about passions and people think, oh, it's, it should be fun. It should be play. Mm-hmm. And, you, and coming back to, you said, you said the word care. If we did one of those little word gram things where it pulls out, you said that word over and over. And, and again, that's why you're here on the show. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate what you've put uh, in the book, what you've put. I, I'm really excited about Bright Pages. Um, Thank you. Because it's, you know, journaling, I'm such an advocate of, and I love the guided aspect of that. But overall, again, back to the purpose of what you're doing, helping people align themselves with something that they truly care about. And then you saying, hey, we can make a business out of Mm -hmm. it is, uh, well, I'm a fan. Thank you. Thanks for doing what you you do. Thanks for being here uh, on the show. And thanks for sharing your heart and what you care about with us. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, friends, I hope this talk with Jess Ekstrom inspired you as much as it did me. Following this talk, I had her share her habits with me. I'll share those with you in episode 847. Uh, Plus, I enjoyed our talk together. She's just so candid, down to earth and wise. I wanted her to come back. She's going to do a QA and a with me, so you can look forward to that. Again, don't miss the chance to check out her new online guided journaling platform. I really think it can help a lot of you who so often hear my guests talking about journaling, but you may not be feeling the benefit that you should. So you can go to brightpages.com, sign up and use the code Ziggler for a free month. And of course, her new book, uh, Chasing the Bright Side, you can find that wherever you get books. Coming up in episode 846, I know a lot of you would love to have great counsel and personal guidance for your dreams, desires, and initiatives. So I ask, if you were given $10,000 to spend on business coaching, what are the top one to three issues you would want wise counsel on? Tom Ziegler joined me to talk through your comments, and it was really insightful to hear the areas people wanted help with most. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.